This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. If you haven't heard about Anchor, let me tell you, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Check this out. It is free. No, I'm serious. It's free, 100%. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor then distributes that podcast for you, and you can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can also make money from that podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. No, I'm not, I'm not going to Little Wayne this thing. <laughs> and we're back on another episode of Lauer After Hours. This week we are joined by Steve Mason. So, Steve, host of the Mason in Ireland podcast, host of the Culture Pop podcast, found wherever uh, podcasts may be downloaded. Uh, download, rate, review, download, rate, review, undownload, unrated. Always, as you, as you guys know from your show. <laughs> um, so, for, um, so, personally for me, I got to tell you, um, you and John are the ones that got me into sports media. Um, so like I grew up listening to you guys and I don't think I'd be here doing this stuff if it wasn't for you guys. So this is real exciting for me. Oh, uh, cool. Um, I'm happy to do it, man. I'm excited to do it. So real quick, um, for, uh, the listeners that aren't familiar, um, give us a little rundown of the story of Mason. A rundown of the story of Mason. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So, uh, I started in Toledo, Ohio and was on the radio by the time I was 15 years old. Um, I was pretty laser focused as a kid. So I would come home from school, I would do a little sports cast, then I would do my homework. And I did that every day for a few years. Um, and from there, I went to Bowling Green State University, where I went to uh, college. And I started working for a commercial radio station, not the station, not the university station, but a top 40 station in Toledo. Uh, worked my way from overnights to morning drive. And finally, uh, at some point, they uh, called me from the mighty 690 and said, why don't you come out here to the West Coast? And I went. Excellent, man. Um, all right. So I'm going to start off with uh, Pam. She's got an Olympics question for you. But before I do that, I'm telling you, before I get you off this pod, I'm getting a Sophie impression. Um, oh, okay. Absolutely. But anyway, let's go to Pam. Hi. Thank you Hi, so Pam. much for joining us tonight. So my question is about... I believe you've announced at least two Olympics or you've done some of the announcing for at least two. I've actually done seven of them, Pam. Oh, I'm really good at this. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. That's all 
right? You can just mute me and I'll go on. No, 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 um, please. So the sports that you did announcing for, were they sports that you got to choose? Were, did they tell you what you were going to announce? How did that come about? And if they picked for you, did you have to quickly learn about those sports? Uh, yes, the answer is yes. So I learned inside out bobsled and luge for the 2002 Winter Olympics in Salt Lake City. Um, and knew nothing about bobsled or luge when I came into it or skeleton. Those are the three big events. And in the end, I think it's some of the best work I, I ever did was on those, uh, on bobsled and luge and skeleton. It was some of the best play-by-play -play I ever did. Um, I did, um, yeah, I did shooting events at Athens in 2004. And the reason I got that job is because I actually grew up hunting and fishing. So I knew a little something about guns, shotguns and rifles and stuff. Um, and, but I had to learn on the spot. And there was a moment when uh, they called me all of a sudden and said, we need you here right away. And it was not an event I was supposed to call. NBC said, we need you here right away to call something. So I showed up at the International Broadcast Center and I called this, what they call the uh, 10 meter air rifle. So it's a target shot. So there's like a little target the size of a quarter. And uh, an American takes the lead in this thing unexpectedly. His name is Matthew Emmons. Uh, and Matthew gets all the way to the last shot. And all he has to do is hit his target and he wins. And he shoots and hits the wrong target. So he loses the gold medal and winds up finishing 10th. But I was the one that got to call that, and it actually led the NBC coverage that night because it was such a crazy story. But I knew nothing about 10-meter air rifle when they called me to do that event. Wow. So that's really learning on the fly. Learning on the, on the dot, exactly. Awesome. Thank you so much. Sure. And again, I'm so sorry. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. Thank you. God, that's got to be such an intense moment to call like i can't imagine the, like he, he literally was aiming at just the wrong target He's yeah and i here's the the, tr the trick with this was they didn't tell me what was going to happen so i didn't know he hit the wrong target at the end so we had that real feeling of me saying there's it looks like he missed the target altogether then i look over one target and i see two holes in the other target and realized he shot the wrong one. But they didn't tell me going in that, hey, this kid shoots the wrong target at the end. They wanted it to be live and spontaneous. And so uh, it was a good call. I really liked that call. That's, that's is, awesome. Um, is, that our, the, can I interrupt? is that the most heartbreaking thing you've ever announced? I think that probably is. That kid was, was devastated. And what's interesting, too, is so to learn the sport, uh, they let me hang out with somebody from the U.S. Olympic team, the shooting team, to kind of go through things. And they, I'd shot trap and skeet before um, and done target shooting before. So I had some, fami some familiarity with it. Uh, but that's the kid that showed me around the program and showed me around the shooting range. So he's the one that I knew and got to know a little bit. So it was heartbreaking to see him lose that. Yeah. Oh, my God. How, how far apart are these targets? Uh, they were about a foot apart. And is that he a just, common He thing? just aimed at the wrong target. That seems 
Impossible. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Really. Um, all right. So we're going to go out to a crispy meme now. He has a film question for you, I believe. Okay. I do. Uh, Steve Mason, thank you for joining us again, man. Um, so uh, I found uh, a little movie that you, I believe, refresh me on all the parts that you had. I know you starred in it as yes. uh, one, one Mr. Lee Atwater called Little Devil. Yes, I okay. wrote and directed and starred in a short film called Little Devil that played all over the festival circuit. And I played Lee Atwater, who was a, who was a bad guy um, yeah. back in the yeah. 1988 election. Um, he took down Mike Dukakis with the Willie Horton ad. Um, yep. and, uh, and George H.W. Bush ended up winning the election. So, yeah, I made a, a little 20-minute biopic of, uh, of Lee Atwater, and it did really well on the uh, uh, out at festivals and stuff. And, and also, famously, he, uh, he was responsible for taking down Gary Hart uh, and had that deathbed confession and, and all that stuff. Lee Atwater is a fascinating figure to me. Uh, like, yeah. he was behind the – talked at length about the Southern strategy. Um, and basically, I was just curious, what, what drew you to that figure? Like, are you fascinated? Is politics, like, a big uh, fascination to you or, or just campaigning? Like, what, no, what was your inspiration for that? Politics are a really big um, reason for it. Um, you know, I, I make it a point to not do any politics on the show. Right. Um, I want uh, our show to be just a clean, fun, entertaining uh, sports show without anything that's going to divide people. You just can't win doing politics now. But yeah. I've always been fascinated by the history of, of politics. And Lee Atwater, I think, was the beginning of true negative campaigning. Um, right. He and Carl Rove together um, came up together and found nasty ways to involve themselves in election, whether it was um, push calls uh, in uh, South Carolina with George W. Bush and John McCain, or it was the Willie Horton ads. Um, that he, they always found a way to attack a candidate in a really personal way. And so for me, that, that was a, a sea change in politics and an interesting moment that I wanted to try to capture. Yeah, it's a great, great choice. If you're going to go for a political villain, I think uh, Roger Stone might be the only other one that could yeah. uh, that could yeah. outsize him as far. I mean, Roger Stone might as well be the Riddler from Batman at this he point. He looks He's like the Riddler a, from Batman. He does. Yeah. He really does. He really does. Uh, maybe Paul Manafort. But yeah, Lee Atwater is somebody whose name doesn't get floated around enough in the political kind of like uh, the architects behind just the mudslinging campaigns that we see today. So I'm going to find that uh, short film. Where, where can we find that? Uh, uh, that's on YouTube. Okay. You okay. Cool. Little devil. You'll find it. Okay. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I will look it up. Everybody else should too. Little devil on YouTube uh, starring one Steve Mason. Thank you. Yeah. Wow. I, I just, I feel like I just learned so much in the last like minute. That was excellent. Um, all right, so I think now we got a question from Ant out in uh, New York. He's got another Olympics question, I believe. Yeah, so I want to jump back to the Olympics for a second because I have a friend who actually was working on bringing the Olympics to L.A. Oh, and I yeah. Want to hear your opinion, as a local, like, are you excited that it's coming or are you one of those like, oh, the trial is going to be so bad, it's going to be uh, like, how do you feel about the Olympics coming? Couldn't be more excited. I mean, we've got great venues. We've got, you know, especially now with SoFi Stadium um, and 
uh, also Bank of California Stadium, which is downtown at USC. We've got these beautiful venues. And I am told that the last time the Olympics happened in Los Angeles in 84, I, I didn't live here, but I was told that the traffic actually went pretty smoothly. People stayed home and didn't get out into the mess of it. Um, I think the fact that we've got mass transit now, uh, the people can take the trains. Um, I think um, I, I think the Olympics are going to be an unbelievable time. And I've said this privately. I'll tell you guys. Um, I'd like the uh, the Summer Olympics in 2028 here in Los Angeles. Actually, I'm wearing the uh, t-shirt or the sweatshirt. Um, I think that's the last job I want to do. Like that'll that'll be it. That's how I want to end my uh, my career is with the Olympics in 2028. I think it'll be great for LA. Cool. Thanks for sharing. Sure. Back I, to you, Jeff. I, yeah, I tend to uh, I tend to agree with you. I'm super excited for it. And I've heard you express something along the lines before of, you know, maybe getting to there and hanging it up. So I think that'd be a pretty damn cool way to go. Yeah. Um, so um, before I, we uh, toss it back to another couple questions, I was wondering, and I was there for this, if you could uh, discuss the experience of being roasted. Ah, so yeah, we did a roast at the Commerce Casino. You were there? I was there. Yeah, it was honestly one of the highlights of my whole career. It was so friggin' funny to me. Um, everybody, because I mean, those people who were roasting me were all really good friends. I mean, Andy and Brian Kamenetsky and Ramona and Shay, I mean, Dave Singer, they're all like really good friends of mine. So they're basically just giving me shit, which I totally, totally dug. Um, I, it was one of the really cool nights of my career. I had a blast and the crowd was fantastic that night too. Yeah, no, it it was so much fun. And, uh, Ramona was great. O'Shea was excellent. It was just, it was, it was a good time. I was, uh, I was stoked. I got to be there. Um, we, we, uh, Jeff, just real quick. We all collectively got roasted by Jeff Passan on Saturday night, oh uh, by the way. He uh, he roasted every single one of us whenever we went to ask him a question. How did was he on your show? <laughs> he yeah. was, yeah. <laughs> and he what did he? So how did he approach? He he went after my beard. He basically he just made fun of every single dude with facial hair and in our in our on our entire podcast. Well, you, yeah, you kind of do lead the league in facial hair. Yeah, I do. I do. But no, he was, he was, he was complimentary. He was, he was a good sport about it, but yeah, Jeff came in, Jeff came in hot and completely roasted uh, the hell out of us. So by, by the way, Mason, I, I told him um, that you were expecting a call back any moment now. So hopefully <laughs> that's awesome. Jeff's the only one who ever did that to us where he said, hang on a second, boys. I let me call you right back. And then never called back. And then, and then you bury the hatchet. He's been on the show since, but but then you proceeded to play that as a drop over and over and over oh, again, yeah. which was he totally hysterical. Me off at that one. <laughs> um, okay, um, I think Mark has. Oh, by the way, happy Kobe Day. Um, yeah, I yeah, think Mark has a Kobe question. Yeah, thanks. So, eight twenty four is Kobe Day. So, obviously, you've interacted with him on a professional level many times. So, when, when you think of Kobe Bryant, what's the first memory you have? professionally that, that comes to mind immediately um i guess there are a couple of things i you know the retirement game was one of the coolest events i've ever been to and the stakes weren't high right they weren't playing for anything uh they weren't a playoff team but that night 
we were all in the building uh, together, me, Ireland, Michael, Tom, uh, everybody from the station, we were all there. And to just watch those numbers go up and up and up until they got to 61, just blew the roof off the place. I've never heard Staples louder than it was on that night. Um, and then I think the moment that kind of embodies Kobe's career was 2013 uh, when he tore his Achilles and then calmly went out to the free throw line and made two free throws before uh, leaving the court. Um, I think those are probably my two indelible Kobe moments. Yeah, same here. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Sure. Appreciate you uh, speaking about that, Steve. It's it, you know, it's a tough one for all of us out here, but I'm trying to see today as a celebration as much as possible, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, Asa Mountain Chicago has a Rams question for you, I believe. Okay. Hey, Steve, my question for you is, uh, and thanks for joining us tonight, your thoughts sure, on you. the uh, Rams logo, the new logo, yep. what you think they're going to do this year. And um, also, as the Cubs fan, I can easily say this, when the Dodgers win the World Series this year, is anything going to be taken away from that feeling because of the shortened season? Okay, so first of all, I love the Rams logos. Um, okay. And not everybody does. I'm the minority view on this. Yo, I but, swear I didn't set this up. I did not tell him to say this. But, but not, me and Ireland not. got this full presentation from Kevin Demoff and the Rams on why everything is the way it is. And so I was sold on that because of their, we got, we got like a 20 minute presentation on here's how we decided how the horn's going to be. And here's how we decided how the head's going to be. So we were like, I, I totally dig it. I've already got merch with, with the, uh, as they say, the D head logo on it. Um, yes. I totally dig it. It was a, it was a center <laughs> field or it was at uh, half, uh, half time of the, uh, of the SoFi stadium this last week at midfield. I'm completely in favor of it. Um, I think the Rams are either a 10 and six or a nine and seven team. Um, okay. I think they got a shot to make the playoffs. Um, they were nine and seven last year. And remember the playoffs expand by one team this year. If right. last year we were playing under those playoff rules that we have now, the Rams would have been in the playoffs. I think they're going to be right on the fringe this year. Um, I think they'll make the playoffs and I think they'll go 10 and six, but I'll tell you, my, op my optimism isn't matched by, uh, by everybody. Um, and then as for the uh, Dodgers, yeah, I think this is this feels like our year. And I don't think that anything will be diminished. Um, I think this was a really tough season to get through. You saw what happened with the Miami Marlins. They all hit the town and got sick. Uh, you saw the St. Louis Cardinals went to a casino, got sick. It requires a lot of discipline to get through this season. And the Dodgers have done it fantastically. They are completely on board with all of the – the the uh, protocols that are involved and that's why they've stayed healthy so I think this season in a lot of ways is tougher than any season they've gone through plus the shorter a season shorter playoff series uh, the more randomization you get which means it becomes even more of a crapshoot a three-game series at the uh, at the start of the playoffs I think is really tough so uh, I think nothing nothing gets taken away from the Dodgers or any team that wins this year's World Series I agree with that. Thanks, man. Really cool for you uh, joining us tonight. Sure. Thank you. All right. So um, mix it up a little bit here. Uh, John, I believe you had some theater-related questions. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was curious if you still um, 
own theaters and um, then what were you going, or what do you think the fate of theaters are in, in this age of COVID, in the age of streaming, in the age of uh, low, um, low home theater tech or low price home theater tech? Yep. You know, just wanted um, to know your thoughts. Yeah, it's a good question. So I'm out of the theater business. Uh, the last theater I owned was out in Palm Desert. That's the one I owned with Brian Cranston. And we sold that off about in 2016, we sold that off. I, you know, thankfully, I feel bad for all my friends who own movie theaters uh, because they are all scuffling right now. And I think a large number of independent theaters are going to wind up closed when this is over. And I think what's going to be left are high-end theaters and theaters that give you uh, beyond the normal movie theater experience. So I think most theaters that survive are going to have recliners. Uh, many theaters that survive are going to, most theaters will have beer and wine and mixed drinks and all that kind of stuff available to customers. And even dinners, as you've seen in some of these restaurants, they'll bring out an entire dinner for you. So I think those are the theaters that are going to survive. Traditional movie theaters are going to have a really, really hard time because what they've done, and this is, this is complicated, but it's a podcast. So that's cool. Um, Universal Pictures has decided they're going to release a movie in theaters for only 17 days before it goes to streaming, uh, which means that theaters only get 17 days to make money before you can watch it at home. I think that is a deadly model for movie theaters. I think they're going to have a lot of trouble with that. You know, when I own theaters, you'd normally get an exclusive for three months before it ever went to streaming or ever went to HBO or Netflix or any of those services, iTunes. Um, and now they're cutting it to 17 days. I, I just think it's going to be really, really a tight window and it's going to be tough for theaters to make it. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for that answer. Sure. Okay, so um, we're going to throw this out to Mike Ryan fan account for a particularly intelligent and insightful question. Great. Hello, Steve. Hello. What sports mascot would you take or would you pick to take on five velociraptors in a game of NBA basketball? Ah, what, what single mascot? Yeah, but you get five of them, so 5v5. Oh, I get five mascots. Well... I guess you got to take the fanatic, who I think can play big down low. Um, I'm trying to think of other friggin' mascots. I've suggested uh, the Stanford tree. Oh, the Stanford tree can post up. Which makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, the Stanford tree can post up. Uh, Tommy Trojan can ride in on a white horse and save the day. Um, I think that the, uh, who's, who's got, is it Oklahoma's got the, uh, steer, the bull. Yeah. Yep. yep. They've got a bull. Yeah. Those are, those are some of them to put together a starting lineup, but five velociraptors is tough, man. I know. (laughs) (laughs) That was one of the best answers we've had to that. That that was, that was extremely thorough compared to a lot of the guests that we've had. (laughs) I usually get blown off, so thank you. <laughs> no, I tried. I gave it a shot. Uh, that was really good. Um, 
Okay, so uh, Drake slash Cody Cavalry, I believe you had a Lakers-related question as well. What's up, man? <clears throat> Thanks for joining us. So sure. my question is, um, and I I'd, I'd phrased it as your top five Lakers of all time who you want to go and party with, but I'll open it up to any any L.A. athlete if, if there was one in that category you may want to throw in there. That I want to go party with? Yeah. Okay. Who you think would be the big ragers? Uh, the big ragers. Well, I think, um, God, big ragers. Well, I mean, he's not a Laker, but Lemon Pepper Lou <laughs> seems like a guy you'd want to party with, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. He knows, he knows where to get wings. Uh, who else would party? Uh, see, Nick Young's gone. He was a party. Um, on this team, you know, this team is so veteran. This Lakers team is so veteran. There's nobody that's necessarily a party guy. Yeah, uh, Dodgers, yeah, Dodgers are all really straight-laced. There is not a party guy there. Um, I think it's Lemon Pepper Lou or Bust. It's, right it's, it's five Lemon Pepper Lou's. Yeah, five <laughs> Lemon Pepper Lou's. Um, <laughs> excellent. Um I believe John in Miami had another uh, movie question. Hey, can I ask you, who yeah. are all these people? Who, who the hell am I talking uh, to? So, um, <laughs> that's a hell of people a good question. People just keep popping in. I'm like, who, who's... <laughs> so, Rand- Will, 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 you just explain it. Go ahead. Okay, so uh, Steve, this is a, a podcast about a podcast, basically. Uh, the local hour of the Dan Lebitard show, yeah. we're all super fans of that show and that first hour that's podcast only and we all kind of came together organically and started reaching out to sports personalities members of the show etc people that we were just fans of and decided to put out a podcast and this is the product and oh cool uh, yeah, 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 and Jeff talked about how we were, you know, some obviously you're you're based in LA, so not all of us were were totally familiar with you, but Jeff is a huge fan, and so uh, we were all thrilled that you know we 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 love talking to to people about their careers and asking them uh, which mascot they would pick to take on five lots of <laughs> There you go. Really, so <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah, and it's kind of just Island of Misfit Toys, but it's been working out for us so far. Excellent, excellent. Um, so John, go for it. Yeah, to throw it back to to movies, more more about movie distribution. How is it that that movies get their or, or theaters get their movies, and um, is, and then maybe I'll ask a follow up based on the answer. Okay, so there's a negotiation that goes on between a theater or a theater company and uh, the motion picture distributor, and they sell a license to show that film, um, and sometimes. Uh, there are multiple theaters in a close area. And so you've got to give one to one theater, one to another theater. Um, but I, yeah, that's, that's the way, that's the way it works. There's not really any magic to it. In the end, there's this popular idea that um, half that, uh, that all the money goes to the studio for movie tickets. And that's just not true. About half the money that, that comes in from selling tickets goes to the theater. It runs about 50-50. So theaters do make money, not just from concessions and the upsell, but also from the movie tickets themselves. 
and log- and logistically, how does the actual uh, content get there, or the, the in what form the media is it? Is it still is it um, tape? Is it digital tape? No, uh, are people what? streaming it? It's an actual hard drive. They send you an actual hard drive that you put into your digital uh, uh, projector, um, and it will play the film off that hard drive. So it used to be that. I mean, when I started in the business, you know, you'd have three gigantic film canisters that you'd have to lay out and that's how you'd roll out a movie. Not that anymore. It's just, I mean, it's, um, you, you log in, uh, they send you a keyword, you plug in the hard drive and that's how you show the movie. Interesting. So, um, I'm surprised they don't, they don't, um, uh, essentially just transmit it over, over the internet, of course, in an encrypted fashion, but, uh, hard drives, huh? Interesting. Thank you. Sure. All right. So um, while we were, uh, well, after Will addressed kind of how we all came to be, um, I did want to bring up the uh, bird of prey matter Um, and how, if you could tell the story of how um, you got as, as Levitard fans is relevant to the show. um, The story of how you were labeled a bird of prey and your (laughs) partner was labeled looking like broadcasting. Yes. So uh, John and I were doing first take, filling in for Stephen A and Max. Uh, This is about two years ago. And all of a sudden, my phone starts blowing up because apparently Stugatz had looked at the TV screen and said, those two guys are so Hollywood. That one guy looks like a bird of prey. Um, And so I've got the silver hair and I've got a a nose that, that, that goes... Um, and, uh, and I adopted it cause I think it's an awesome, it's an awesome nickname, the bird of prey. Um, John Ireland is kind of out of uh, standard issue broadcast guy. Like he is, he is what you expect a broadcaster to, to be like, and to look like I am, I am not that I will settle for bird of prey. And, and, and the fact that you parlayed it at least somewhat in part to actually being a falconer at the, uh, yes. LA, LA, LAFC game. Exactly, which was an unbelievable night where I got to release the fal- I had the falcon on my arm, got to release it, flies around the uh, the Bank of California Stadium. It was a that was also you mentioned two of my all time career highlight nights. Uh, that was one of them. the uh, The night I was the falconer, the night of the roast. Those are those are two great ones. Yeah, that, that was a. I, I remember watching that, and it was really very cool. Um, okay, Asim, did you have a Lakers question? Yeah, I hit on the uh, uh, the Rams earlier and the Dodgers. I have a Lakers question. Real quick, yeah. uh, to piggyback on what you're talking about, the bird of prey here in Chicago, you know, we had the famous Hawk Harrelson calling White Sox Oh, games. sure, Hawk. I mean, you guys right now, I mean, you kind of look like, I mean, he looks like, you guys look similar. Have you ever heard that before? No, I've never, I've never gotten that. Okay. Isn't, that isn't Hawk considerably older than me? I'm talking about when I watch talk. Oh, Sox when you watch game. talk. Okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like that. yeah not, not right now. Not now. Yeah. Okay. Not, not so older than Hawk. Right, right. But yeah, he, he's, a legend. he's a legend. Oh, uh, he, is. My, he is. My Laker question goes to yeah. a little here in Chicago, Bulls-Lakers. Um, I'm old enough to remember vividly the 91 finals, Bulls-Lakers, when you guys took game one against us. But a lot of people don't remember Byron Scott getting hurt, James Worthy getting hurt, not playing. Yeah. If they were in there, I'm not saying 
you know, do you think the Lakers would win? But we have the Bulls obviously then swept four in a row. Do you think yep. it might have went six or seven games? Yeah, I think it would have gone six or seven teams. I, I don't think I don't think that Laker team had the guns to go after Jordan. I just I just don't. Um but had they not had the injuries, they absolutely would have turned that into a six or seven game series. Absolutely. But I don't think they were going to beat the Bulls, even at full strength. Yeah, I just feel bad. No, no one remembers that James Worthy didn't even play that series. Yeah, I know. I know. Yep. Thanks again, man. Absolutely. Um, so, Mace, we got a couple other ones here, but I know um, you're kind of squeezed in between two uh, – events here so yes. we don't want to keep your time any longer than need be so please let us know if you need to yep. dip out um i got okay, i so, got like five minutes if that's cool yeah yeah let's get another couple in and call it good um crispy you had another movie question yeah i was just gonna ask um uh, about your uh the making of your short film. I grew up going to movie sets. My dad was a key grip and dolly grip. Um, and I'm based in Wilmington, North Carolina. So we're kind of, you know, nicknamed ourselves Wilmy Wood and stuff. Yeah, so, no, a lot of stuff made in, in Carolina. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So, uh, yeah, I was just curious. Um, what was your favorite part of, of making your short film? Do you ever think you're going to basically get back into it um, uh, and, and make anything in the future? Um. What was my favorite part of it? Uh, my favorite part was when it was done. That was the best. Part. <laughs> Fair <laughs> was, enough. Fair enough. So much work. I yeah. I, I, that's why I never walk out of a movie and say what a piece of shit because I know right. how many people it takes to make a movie, um, and you know I know how many people worked on mine. Um, it is unbelievably pressure filled because. You've got a very narrow schedule. You've got, we've got one day to get this right. We've got one day. We've got this location. Got to get the light right. Got to get everything right. And right. got to be able to nail it. And especially difficult was me um, starring and directing is really hard because you've got to look at the monitor. Then you've got to go back to your position as an actor. Really, really difficult. Right. Um, I don't think that I would ever make another movie. But, you know, I, I was trained as an actor and I would definitely go back and, and pursue acting at some point if the right thing came along. Because right. um, I do enjoy it. And, you know, I had a, I had a uh, I'm proud of my performance in uh, Little Devil. I really, I, I, I really feel good about it. Awesome. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. Sure. Okay. So we got one more quick one from John and then we'll get you out of here. Cool. I was um, curious about your, your pod, the, the culture pop. Could you um, tell me a little bit more about it, what you guys do on that pod and um, maybe throw in uh, a memorable, you know, uh, episode or something that happened on there? Yeah. So um, I started the culture pop podcast uh, last year and um, it's grown a lot. Um, it's uh, available at uh, stevemason.com and you su subscribe on iTunes or on Spotify um, you know, this is basically a chance for me to talk about stuff other than sports. Um, and, uh, you know, just like John, we've got, we've got interest outside of sports. Um, and some of the people that I've had on, on the culture pop podcast, like for example, Susie Essman, who plays Susie on, uh, curb your enthusiasm was really funny. Freddie Prince jr. Fantastic. O'Shea Jackson jr. Fantastic. There are a couple of podcasts that are really interesting. There's one where 
I interview my broadcast partner, John Ireland. And then there's another one where John Ireland interviews me. Um, and you get a sense for sort of the history that we've been through together um, and our friendship and what has made the show work for 26 years. Uh, so there's some real interesting private stuff there. I'm, and I'm trying to think people like Deepak Chopra and Larry King and Ray Seahorn from Better Call Saul. And I, it's my opportunity to do stuff that goes beyond sports. Um, and I really love doing it. I'm really proud of it. Um, quick follow-up. Do, do, does politics come into play or is discussed on that culture pop? Uh, do they ever cross over? It is not. I deliberately not doing politics. ESPN's got a, first of all, ESPN's got kind of a thing about it. Uh, they really don't want us heavily involved in politics. Um, I could do stuff, but I'd rather not do stuff because again, it just divides people. Um, if I, I think if I were to do politics on the show, uh, I basically piss off half the people and I'm just not up for doing that. Um, I want my stuff to be friendly and conversational and I won't say not controversial, but but not political, just because we have such a divide in this country. I'd rather not do politics on on our radio show or on on my podcast. So Very Steve, I have to I have to call a quick audible on you here because we yeah. just got a uh we just got a text in question for you for you from a fan of the or friend of the pod, uh, Izzy Gutierrez. So, Asim, you had a question for Izzy, from Izzy? Hey, Steve. Izzy really wanted to make it. Um, he's busy right now finishing up some work in his new condo, but he sent me a question for you. Cool. He said, he said tell Mace I said hi, and I'm wondering, are both L.A. teams going to pop in the bubble? <laughs> good question. Are they both going to pop in the bubble? No, they are not. One of them is, obviously. Um, and I think it's going to be the Clippers who look really disjointed and uh, Paul uh, George doesn't look good. And I mean, Kawhi is just a monster. Lou Williams, Lemon Pepper Lou is great. Uh, but I think in the end, the Clippers just don't have an answer for Anthony Davis. It's not Montrezl Harrell. It's not Evita Zubats. It's not Joachim Noah. They really don't have an answer for AD. And so I think that once those two teams play, uh, that uh, AD and the Lakers will uh, win that series and go to the finals. But I, I think it should be a hell of a series. I'm rooting for Dallas, so I'd love to see Dallas knock out the Clippers just because schadenfreude, man. Schadenfreude with those Clippers fans. Be, screw them. We're, we're all here rooting for, uh, for Dallas. But quick follow-up, you're assuming Anthony Davis gets through the playoffs healthy. Let's just say he's not. Well, if, if, if Anthony Davis isn't healthy, then they're not going to win a championship. It's right. just – Plain simple. I mean, yeah. you know, as, as I think LeBron is at an age where he needs, he's in his age 36 season, age, yeah, age 36 season. Um, he needs a running mate. And AD is a fantastic running mate uh, for LeBron James. If AD gets hurt, it's, it's over. I mean, that's the most important, um, the most important thing that the Lakers have can have going for them right now is health. They need everybody to be healthy. They can't afford an injury in the backcourt. Uh, because, uh, you know, they've got no Avery Bradley and no Rashawn Rondo right now. You know, they can't afford to lose AC or KCP. They can't afford to lose Danny Green. I mean, they're 
health is going to be the reason that they win ultimately. If they don't stay healthy, they will not win. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Okay. So Steve, um, right before we let you go here, usually we have one of our um, members. He does, he works, uh, he he runs an embroidery shop for a living. And so in the background, yeah. And so in the background during the podcast, it looks like he's not paying attention and he's just working. You'll Ah. see the hat right there. But in reality, he's making a hat for the guest. And he was was unable to join us today, but he did make you a culture pop hat. Wow. That is awesome. And we will, uh, I will contact you privately and we'll figure out how to get it to you. Oh, that is awesome. Thank you very much. But um, thank you so much for being on with us. And uh, could I get a thank you, Steve, on three? One, two, three. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Steve. All right, enjoy the Lakers game, man. Cool, thanks, man. Hey, by the way, tweet me a link of that when it comes out, and I'll retweet it. Will do. Thanks, man. All right, Absolutely. cool. Hey, thanks, thanks, thanks a lot, Steve. All you guys. Thanks for joining thank us. For wonderful. Thanks for the time. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot for checking out this episode of Lauer After Hours. We really do appreciate you. You can always reach us on Twitter at Lauer After Hours or on Instagram at Lauer After Hours. Don't forget to download, subscribe, review, and rate five stars wherever you listen to podcasts. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in a new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series now streaming on Showtime.